Hello and welcome into the Lockdown Wolves postcast. We are live following the Timberwolves' fifth consecutive victory, a win over Victor Wembanyama and the San Antonio Spurs. Jack Borman of Canis Hoopis joins me as we break down the victory on the postcast. You are Locked On Wolves postcast, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, your team every day. To the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel as well. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves. I'm filling in for Luke Inman hosting today on the postcast, and I'm joined by Jack Borman, the editor of Canisupis. Jack, good to see you. Appreciate you joining. Let's talk Wolves Spurs. And this was, uh, I would say this is kind of a weird one. It was all over the place. There's lots of places we could start. Um, rough start to the game for the Wolves. There were turnover issues, uh, urgency issues, we could call it. Um, and then they pulled it together middle stages, and then it still got somewhat dicey towards the end of the game. Um, what are your initial takeaways from this one? Yeah, I mean, I thought we were going to have to pull a fire alarm or something when Mike Conley had two turnovers in, in the in that first quarter and had, and had won the whole entire season. on the And I think it was on the first possession of the entire season, um, which I, I think was just kind of exemplary of, of you know how the Timberwolves played and that I think that they were kind of uh, out of rhythm and out of sync early. You know, they're one of seven from three, especially coming out, um, you know, after after a couple of really good three-point shooting performances, that's obviously, um, you know, not what you want. And then when you turn it over seven times and give up, I think either eight or nine points off of turnovers for a San Antonio Spurs team that has really struggled in the half court, um, you know, you obviously can't be too pleased about it. But, you know, I think the biggest difference between the Timberwolves this year and the Timberwolves last year is that, when they'd have quarters like that or they'd come out in the first quarter like that, they often found themselves down, um, you know, 10, 12, 15 points. And and they were still only down five points after one quarter, which um, obviously was huge for them and kind of allowed them to to settle into the game and, and kind of grind down the Spurs starting in um, starting in that second quarter. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, the way they were able to turn around that zone defense um, had a lot to do with it after, you know, not not using it all that effectively in, in the first quarter there. Yeah, I agree with the the first point you made 100%. I mean, it, we've seen the Timberwolves get off to rough starts against inferior teams, and the Spurs are, I, I think, better than your average inferior team just because of, obviously, Victor Wembanyama and how they've got a lot of talent on that team, even if they haven't played very well overall so far this season. Um, but yet the Wolves still, as you said, found themselves only down a handful of points. They actually, I think, were tied at halftime or maybe up by a point or two. Um and they really had no business based on the, how badly they played to start the, the game. I think they had six or seven first quarter turnovers um, and the Spurs were making tough shots. Like there were a couple early in the game where the Wolves had solid contests, a couple of mid-range jumpers, a couple of threes, and the Spurs still made shots, which of course they were like, I think the 23rd best offense in terms of offensive rating coming into the game, the Spurs were. So there was some weirdness too. And yet the Wolves were still able to kind of hang with things and it didn't quite feel like same old, same old, like we got used to seeing last year. Um, you mentioned the zone. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the wolves have hardly played any zone um, and, and didn't really do it much last year either. They started mixing it in, in this game and it worked really well. Obviously the Spurs are not a very good shooting team. You know uh, they, they wanted to try and, and make the Spurs uh, take some of those outside shots instead of working it around. And it was just the, the perimeter defense was not as on point when they weren't in zone in this game. Um, what are your thoughts on the Wolves? It, like this feels like the right opponent to play the zone against. Uh, I don't know that we're going to see it very often, but what were your thoughts in general on, on the Wolves, on Chris Finch, you know, pulling that lever and then also the results from it? 
Yeah, I'm certainly not surprised um, just because obviously, you know, you want to have a lot of guys that are near and in around the paint. Um, you know, if one Binyama is able to catch the ball in the middle of the floor, just so you have bodies to show on him, which I think is an important thing too. But, you know, because the Wolves haven't played, um, you know, zone that much this year, it's hard to get those live rebounding reps um, in a zone defense. And that was something that they struggled with initially and then really cleaned it up in the, in the second and third quarters. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I said this earlier that, um, you know, or tweeted it earlier that I think, um, you know, Chris Finch was kind of just daring a really young and inexperienced team um, to take a bunch of, you know, contested early in the shot clock three pointers to try to slow down some of the ball movement that that the Spurs were able to get going in the, you know, the early parts of that that first and second quarter. And, and that's exactly what happened. You know, the Wolves were really able to kind of take control of this game because, uh, you know, San Antonio just continued in that third quarter to jack up. Um, you know, Jack of whether it was like long contested twos in the short corner or, or pulling up threes. I think there were one of 10 from three in that third quarter, um, pretty much all because of that zone. And, you know, guys are taking shots two, three, four feet behind the three point line, which is exactly what you want. And then uh, the Wolves were able to get some runouts as a result of that, um, which was, you know, really important to them building that. I think the lead got as high as like 17 um, 18. It looks like in that third quarter, which was you know built off the back of that zone defense for sure. Yeah, and the Wolves, as we said, were it was sloppy early on. Turnovers were an issue. They went to the zone kind of second quarter, got themselves back in the game, briefly took a lead towards the end of the second quarter. Um, and it was they there was a moment kind of like I think the Wolves were within a possession or two. And, you know, I've, I've just been so fascinated with Chris Finch's the big man rotation so far this season through, you know, what, seven games or eight games um, has been fascinating. And in this game, the Wolves decided, and Wembenyama wasn't on the floor in this moment, obviously, but the Wolves decided to just go with Nas at the five, which we haven't seen a ton of this year. Usually it's staggering Rudy and Cat, And it was only for a few minutes, but I thought it worked nicely. Finch was kind of searching for the right combo. Um, and the Wolves closed the first half really well. And then in the third quarter, we really saw Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns both get going. Uh, there were some nice moments from Jaden McDaniels as well. Um, I think they ended up being up 15 for the quarter. And as you said, built a lead as high as 17 or, eight, or 18. Um, but it it almost took, there were some good ant moments in the second quarter too. He started to play much better, but it really took like, it was like the middle two quarters where things finally clicked offensively. And the Spurs came into this game as the league's worst defense. They'd given up at least 120 points to every opponent, except for one so far this season, the Wolves were the second and they still scored 117, but it, it really took a minute for the Wolves to click offensively in this game. Yeah, it did. I mean, obviously the turnovers had a huge, huge, you know, part to play in that. And the, the good thing was that the turn the Timberwolves didn't turn the ball over in the first, you know, I want to say four and a half, five minutes of that second quarter, which kind of allowed them to at least, you know, get in and run some offense and get some guys some clean looks and at least get some shots up that they weren't getting up. You know, when you're turning the ball over, it's, you know, not allowing opportunities for, you know, your stars to to at least get shots up or see the ball go through the basket. And um, you know, especially for a guy like Ant who you know, really just did not have any energy at all in that first quarter to, to see him knock down a couple of those threes. He made that crazy layup um, to, to get under and around a contest from one Binyama and pick and roll with Gobert there. Um, you know, that was really important for them. Um, you know, and they rebounded too from, from a couple of bad turnovers from, from Shake Milton early in that second quarter. And I just thought that, um, you know, the way that, that uh, the Timberwolves really, um, you know, were just patient offensively. I don't think that they were rushed. And, and I think, um, you know, they kind of just trust, you know, Hey, if we play our game, if we can get this into the half court, slow it down, 
um, you know, run a bunch of screen and roll actions, uh, you know, get off the ball early in the shot clock and kind of get the ball moving a little bit around the perimeter. Um, you know, that's how they're able to get back into the game. And then, um, you know, like you said, you know, they're still able to, to build a, a little lead there by the break that, um, you know, that they really just kind of blew open with uh, with the help of, of Jade McDaniels there early in the third quarter, playing, playing some really nice defense that, that resulted in. Uh, some easy points on the other end, which was, I think, really important for kind of opening the floodgates offensively. Yeah, and the Wolves are up 17 going to the fourth quarter, and it really kind of felt like, you know, uh, made sense to feel like the Wolves were in a pretty good spot, and then things disintegrated. I don't say disintegrated. I think it got down to six points was the closest it got, and of course it meant that Finch had to play, you know, rotation guys the rest of the game, really starters the rest of the game. I To me, I don't know that it was anything in particular. There were a couple of bad decisions there were, it was kind of like the, it, it was like watching a, a train wreck in slow motion for a few possessions there, where even like Kyle Anderson had a rough game turnover wise. Uh, there were just some bad decisions, but then also some fluky stuff. The Spurs hit some shots that they hadn't been making. Um, and suddenly it was like a, a, a three possession game, and the Wolves had to take timeouts and, and, you know, things really slowed down. Was there anything that stuck out to you late in the game? There was also a couple uncharacteristic. You mentioned the Conley turnovers early. He had that weird travel. And then there was, I think, maybe one other turnover from Conley late. Um, was there anything that stuck out to you during this kind of like backslide in the fourth quarter? Or was it just kind of like, hey, the NBA is full of good players and good teams and the Wolves just it, it wasn't it's never really all that easy, right? Yeah, I mean, I think especially, you know, the Spurs shooting one of 10 from three in the in the third quarter and then, you know, came out and they shot five of eight in the, in the fourth quarter to balance things out. So that was obviously a big thing. But but Trey Jones was tremendous uh, in this in this fourth quarter stretch that they had here. Uh, if you look at lineups when when he's been playing point guard and Sohan has been off the floor and when Binyana has been out there, um, you know, those lineups have been incredible for for San Antonio. And, and Trey Jones does an awesome job of of making everything tough for you know, a guard or a ball handler in the half court on the defensive end of the floor. And then, you know, whenever the Spurs get a stop and he has the ball in his hands, um, you know, he's just a, a runaway freight train um, in, in the in, in transition in the sense that he, you know, just creates so much pace, uh, kind of like Jordan McLaughlin does um, for the Wolves, very similar type of player in transition where, you know, he just gets going and everybody runs with him. And it's just like, you know, these four or five players coming at you all at once, all because of, you know, the, the pace and, and the speed that he can kind of play with in transition. And that's how, you know, Wemby got going a little bit there too, got, got some easy buckets in transition. And then you add in a couple of threes from Devin Vassell and, uh, and the Timberwolves just frankly um, had some really dumb offensive possessions where they just threw some pretty careless passes um, weren't really working the ball to try to get, you know, any of their best players, the ball in spots that they feel comfortable scoring in, um, you know, and I think even after a timeout from Finch, you saw a turnover from Kyle Anderson, um, which isn't what you need, especially if, you know, Finch is going to burn a timeout. A lot of fans want to say, well, hey, well, where's the Finch timeout? And, it, you know, there it was. But, you know, the players also have to follow through and make good on that and kind of recollect their heads a little bit. And that just didn't happen, um, you know, but uh, like you said, you know, it got down as close as six. But, uh, you know, this is what good teams do. Right. You know, they're able to. Um, you know, they're able to kind of collect themselves. And, you know, I thought Rudy Gobert was a really important piece of that and that um, his activity on the offensive glass created, you know, three or four extra shots for the Timberwolves throughout that fourth quarter that was really important in kind of, you know, stemming the tide and, and swinging some uh, and swinging momen some momentum back the Timberwolves way to eventually kind of, you know, help them get to the finish line there. 
Let's talk about our friends over at Prize Picks, presenting partners of today's show. Show Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. With the basketball season here, you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you could take LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 point combo of three-pointers made in receptions. Or you could also go with a Minnesota theme there and, I don't know, take uh, Alexander Madison over on yards and Carlton Towns, um, you know, more than on three-pointers made. If you want to play alongside some of PrizePick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz, you can find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the PrizePick's community each week. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedInNBA. Use the code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, prizepicks.com slash LockedInNBA. Use the code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePicks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, uh, Jack, let's talk a little bit about some of the bench players. And this was another, I thought, a very strong Nikhil Alexander-Walker game. And he had a, a rough start to the season. Uh, roughs may be strong, kind of a nondescript start to the season. The last couple of games, I want to say he had, I think it was eight assists on Wednesday, if I remember right. Um, correct. Yeah, eight assists and zero or one turnovers in this game. He had four assists, no turnovers. He also made his first three shots from the field, hit a three-pointer at a key point, I think, in the third quarter. Um or second quarter, I guess, when the Wolves are still trying to draw even. Just a well-rounded performance for Alexander Walker. Yeah, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of what we saw from him in that playoff series against Denver, where, you know, a lot of his offense was very much within the flow of the offense and very much, you know, within what he's capable of doing. Um, you know, and the biggest thing for him was he was playing really confidently offensively, uh, you know, down the stretch of last season. I mean, how couldn't you with with the way he was playing and, and how big of a role he had on this team? Um, and I think, you know, shifting back to the bench a little bit and uh, not being able to find his three point shot in the preseason, I think kind of carried over into the, the first part of this season and just didn't wasn't playing with the same confidence, was really hesitant uh, playing off the catch. You know, wasn't really sure whether he should shoot open shots or, um, you know, take dribbles in and, and was just kind of, you know, slowing things down and wasn't making quick decisions. But now we're seeing that from him and, you know, the just the kind of the pressure releasing uh, moments that he has as a scorer are, are really important, whether it's a spot up three or a nice little drive, because uh, he can get all the way to the rack. And we, we've seen he's got a seven foot wingspan almost and, and really uses that to his advantage. Um, and he's ambidextrous, too, as a finisher, which is which is great. So those two things are, are kind of a big combination from him from him. And um, yeah, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, I mean, his defense is always going to be there. And that's the great thing about him. And then we was able to add that kind of complimentary offense that, that you see in a game like this. Um, you know, you, you may not look at the box score and think, oh, my gosh, like that just jumped off the the page. But just such a steadying, uh, you know, bench bench guy tonight. And that's exactly what you need from from a Timberwolves team that, um, you know, is going to have different guys step up based on matchups. And um, and tonight was one of those nights where, um, you know, he was really able to take advantage of some smaller guards that, that played for uh, for San Antonio and um you know, like you said, a great time for him to stack two performances together here and keep it rolling. Yeah, the bench as a whole in this game, um, you know, was was a little bit up and down. I mentioned Kyle Anderson had some turnover problems early. It wasn't his best game, although he had some nice moments in the center of of the Spurs zone. Um, Nas got banged up towards the, I think it was end of the third quarter, maybe, um, or it was fourth quarter, I guess. Um, 
and he was a bit uneven prior to that. Uh, Shake Milton also up and down. It's just kind of been like this was one of those games where you really wanted the bench to to distance themselves because, you know, almost by definition, a team like the Wolves that's expecting to be a top four or five seed in the West at worst um, should be deeper and you should have an advantage when you get deep into a bench. And in this game, I thought it was a little bit uneven in general. We still haven't seen that full Shake Milton like lift off, although he played a much stronger game earlier this week. Um, but in general, this is still one of those things to like kind of see how how Finch mixes and matches. And, you know, we we definitely could talk more about Cat and Ant. Nobody else on this team besides the Timberwolves' two superstars scored more than 11 points. This was just a, a Cat and Ant offensive performance, um, a pretty a decent at times defensive performance um, as a team. But um, the bench, I, I thought like the Wolves just need to get a little bit more consistency out of their bench. And part of it, of course, is still figuring out exactly what their rotation looks like moving forward. And a little bit's going to be matchup dependent, you know, night to night, as you said. Um, but, you know, still still kind of waiting for Shake Milton. And, you know, Kyle Anderson is usually a little bit steadier than I think he's been so far to kind of hit their strides. Yeah. And, and I think you nailed it with the consistency piece and something that Chris Finch said after the team's uh or was it, it was either before or after the game on Wednesday. Um, you know, Chris Finch said that they're kind of learning, they're, you know, learning more and more about shake and learning that, um, you know, he's kind of a guy that is able to kind of get into the game a little bit easier when he's playing off the ball. And and we've seen Nikhil, like you said, really take that step forward playing on the ball in that backup point guard role. So hopefully now that those two guys are in, in roles that are a little bit better suited for them when they share the floor together, uh, will kind of help one another get going. Um, and I mean, the other thing with Shake Milton that I, I think some people have to, you know, keep in mind too last year is that he played a lot of games that, you know, James Harden either missed um, and he and he was, you know, certainly uh, more than capable score. He had six games of 20 points or more last season. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind, like the offense for him will come. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying about just the consistency and, and needing more from these guys. I think that you know, obviously that's what Carl and Ann are paid to do. They're paid to, to go out and get 25, 30 points every single night. Um, but, you know, I, I think that um, it's a good thing for those two guys that they're able to have a game like this and be able to, you know, prove that they're able to step up. Because, you know, again, a night like last or a night like this last season, um, the Wolves just wouldn't have won because Ant wouldn't have had enough scoring help. And that's, I think, where we're getting Carl back is, is obviously huge is that, you know, there were plenty of nights last year where begging for a 20 or 25 point guy that Ant could play with. Now he has it. And um, I think that those two guys did a really good job of kind of, you know, taking the reins of the offense when the other one was off the floor, um, which was really important. I think Carl had 13 in the, in the third quarter, which really, you know, kind of helped um, that half court offense find rhythm. And um, you know, and obviously when Carl's able to shoot the ball, um, like you did tonight from three, three of seven, you'll take that, take that every single time. So, uh, but yeah, I loved what, loved what we saw from, from Kat and Ann, if you, if you've got more on that. Let's talk about that next. Let's talk about our friends at Jace Medical. Whether you're on extended travel, bracing for a major weather event or limited by yet another supply shortage, you're covered. Thanks to our partners at Jace Medical, life-saving antibiotics and a long list of daily medications can be ordered in a one-year supply, even ED generics for Cialis, Viagra, and Revadio prescriptions. You can go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply and your daily medication. Remember, you can use the promo code LOCKDOWN at checkout for a discount as well. Again, that's jacemedical.com. You can use the promo code LOCKDOWN for your 12-month supply. You'll get $20 off your purchase at jacemedical.com. Uh, let's talk about Cat and Ant. Um, 
those guys both played really well in this game, primarily on offensively and had some good defensive moments per usual. Um, it took Ant until the second quarter to really get going. And it was really kind of late in the second quarter. And, and then he played really well. Um, I, let's start with him. I mean, he had 28 points, nine of 21 shooting, you know, decently efficient because he got to the line 11 times. We are seeing his three point percentage come back down to earth. He was, I think two of eight Wednesday or two of seven. He was two of eight again tonight. Uh, seven rebounds, five assists, and four turnovers for Ant. Um, there were, a, I mean, he easily could have gotten to line two or three more times in this game. I, I like the way he attacked the basket in general. He also, the five assists, yeah, he turned it over four times, but I think there were at least two, if not three assists to Rudy in the two-man game. And, and that's something that we saw in preseason. We saw the first couple games this year. We're just kind of seeing these flashes of like, hey, if this is like Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert on steroids because of what Ant's ceiling really is and and the fact that he's just a better shooter um, and much bigger and and, and on down the list, um, this could be really crazy because Rudy looks every bit like Rudy from three years ago at, at the moment. Um, so Ant in, in general, even though the turnovers weren't great and even though the you know three-point shooting wasn't great, I thought the shot selection was good. The overall decision-making was fairly sound in this game for Ant. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing from Ant is I, I want to say Ant shooting damn near 50% in that long two, um, you know, mid-range area from the free throw line, you know, to the three-point line. And he was four for six in that um, in that range tonight. And I think the more that that he's able to kind of take advantage of that, you know, bully that that drop defense where a big is down low in the paint, um, he's able to just rise up and, and knock down open in rhythm jumpers. The more that um, you know, that dropping big is going to have to play up and, and then Ant's going to be able to kind of hesitate a little bit and get into that jump pass uh, to hit Gobert right in the middle of the lane, which we saw a couple of times tonight for um, for buckets. And, and, you know, that's that's again, um, you know, a huge reason why coming into this season, everyone was was kind of hoping that the the next step for Ant would be to develop a more sound and consistent mid-range game. And, you know, I think throughout this season, uh, seemingly on a game-by-game, almost linear progression, we've seen Ant's uh, decision-making in terms of where to shoot and where to drive and when to kick has has just gotten so much better, especially in the mid-range area. Um, You know, he's seemingly taking less dumb twos um, every single game, um, which is important. And honestly, like, if he turns it over an extra, you know, one or two times because he's – you know, really trying to find Gobert inside. Like I would totally live with that as opposed to, you know, he comes around the screen kind of does the thing where he snakes and gets the defender on his back and then takes, you know, this little step back too with a hand in his face. Um, you know, we saw that earlier in the season. He's kind of getting rid of that a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think you'll take a game like tonight for Ant every single time. You know, I, I like the, the kind of the mix that he's got going where, um, you know, he took eight shots from three, 13 from two. I think that's about right. Getting him above 20 shots a game is it's probably what you want for, for a high volume scorer like him. So yeah, really hard to, to poke holes in, in what, you know, he was able to do tonight offensively. Right. And, and to your breakdown of threes versus twos, per, twos is perfect because yeah, you take an extra one or even two turnovers a game. If he's eliminating, you know, six long twos from his game, because, you know, he's going to get to line more if he gets the basket more. He's going to, he's not going to shoot 25% from three consecutive in consecutive games very often, right? Like he's a good shooter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a great way to lay it out. Like you could, you can live with the turnovers. I mean, great players turn the ball over, right? You just rather see him take good shots because he's so good um, and so effective when he gets into the paint and shooting from outside the arc and um, the shot selection really genuinely matters. Carl Anthony Towns for most of the game really kind of carried the Wolves offensively and it wasn't really 
pretty. Like it still was like you look at his line and I actually think his line looked better than I felt like he was playing partway through the game. Like there were moments where it just kind of felt like you were you were waiting for the for the offensive foul. There eventually was one, which actually, by the way, I thought was a bad call. I don't think it was an offensive foul, but he could have been called a couple times earlier than that. He got into a Zach Collins a bit in the middle of the game. Um, but I mean, so did Rudy. So did everybody. Um, there was like it just kind of felt like Cat was teetering on the edge of that, you know, the stray voltage thing that everybody talks about with Carl Thitty Towns. But he never went he never went full stray voltage cat, right? Like he just kind of teetered there. He was really effective. He was relatively efficient. Um, I thought he should have attempted more than four free throws in this game. 29 and 12. Great to see him so active on the glass, especially early in this game. When you, you alluded to this earlier, they were struggling to rebound out of the zone. Um, and, and the Spurs just also have a really long team. So it was very important that cat got on the glass. This was in general, given the circumstances, even though it wasn't pretty, I thought it was, it was one of cat's best one or two games so far this season. And mostly what you'd expect or want to see from him on a nightly basis. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, you know, the biggest thing for me right now with Carl is free throws, right? You know, you look at, um, you know, each of the last, you know, in four of the last, you know, six seasons now he's, he's shot 5.8 free throws or or more per game. And um, you know, last year was at 4.7 and this year is down to 3.1 right now. And, you know, I think part of that is just because some of these fouls that could go the other way have been called offensive fouls. You know, I think Finch did a good job the other night pointing out that, you know, a lot of times there's contact before he hooks that kind of, you know, prompts Cat to hook that I think that, um, you know, the Timberwolves have probably been in contact with the league office about. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing for Carl is is just doing things quickly. Um, and I think tonight, for the most part, you saw him do things pretty quickly, whether it was um, – you know, step into a nice in rhythm three pointer on a, on a catch and shoot spot or, um, or deciding to just go, I think, you know, the more that he catches the ball and holds onto it and is, you know, fake serving the defense, um, and, and you know, kind of sizing someone up the, you know, the quicker he goes, the better he is. And, and I thought we saw a lot of that tonight, which was, um, you know, obviously important. And then the other thing was Carl was able to score at all three levels of the defense. Right. And so, um, you know, for, for him, I, I think, the biggest thing is just finding, um, you know, really easy, repeatable ways to score. And the, and the first most obvious way is, is catch and shoot three pointers. Um, but outside of that, we haven't really seen any type of, um, you know, easy offense for him that he, that he's been able to repeat so far this season. And whether that's, you know, being able to successfully post up, we saw a little bit of that right away uh, in the preseason um, that, that hasn't necessarily translated. I think now it's, you know, beyond your three point game, um, you know, what are you going to be able to add? And, and certainly the hope is that driving game will come more uh, when Towns is playing the five and Gobert is out, um, especially if he's going to be able to play next to Nas Reed and Kyle Anderson. Um, so, you know, it'll be an interesting, interesting one to develop, but, but obviously, you know, great for Carl that he was able to score 29 points tonight with only making uh, four free throws. So um, yeah. they'll, they'll need every, every bit of scoring they can get out of him, um, you know, just so that Ant isn't having to carry this huge load on a nightly basis. Yeah, and also only committing one foul himself uh, was great to see. And and I think you hit the nail on the head with the making quick decisions, just being decisive, right? Like, remember Ant saying that about Carl Thitty Towns. It was either last year, it might have been the year before last year. He said that in an interview, like basically, hey, we just need him to, to do something quicker, right? When he gets the ball, you know, they used to do the mid-post thing a lot with him and um, almost like how Denver uses Jokic. And, and sometimes Cat 
would get in these funks where he would get tunnel vision and he'd be looking for the pass or whatever. Somebody comes up, strips the ball, or he just decides, hey, I'm going to take on this triple team. And um, just being on the perimeter more and being decisive that then allows him to score at all three levels and then distribute off of that, right? Like using the three to set up the drive, using the drive to set up the three, using them both to set up the pass because we know Cat can be a good passer when he's not overthinking things. Um, and and this was a, a a pretty good all around example, I think, when it comes to Carlton Towns. We're uh, we're about done. We haven't even talked about this being the first game of the uh, the in season tournament. Any any hot takes on that? Anything you want to say about about the Wolves being one to zero in the tournament? No, I mean I I looked at you know I, I wrote something for Candice, uh yesterday on Thursday, just kind of explaining what the in season tournament is, partly for myself because I needed to, to to refresh up on it, but. Um, you know, I think the Timberwolves uh, in-season tournament fate could honestly be, you know, sealed on Tuesday, right? Um, so they play Golden State on Sunday, um, and that is not an in-season tournament game. And then they'll rematch Golden State again in San Francisco on Tuesday. Uh, but that will be an in-season tournament game. And so uh, the Timberwolves and the, and the Warriors are currently tied atop the, the Group C table there at 1-0. and um, And so the winner of that game certainly will be in the driver's seat for um you know, for the, for the rest of the group play stage. Um, and also important to consider right now that, that the Kings are, are without uh, Deer and Fox still, uh, which is, you know, obviously a, a big thing for them um, considering, you know, how important he is to their offense and considering that they don't really have a defense, um, you know, they can kind of step up in, in the wake of, you know, losing one of the best offensive players in the league. So, um, you know, big, big game for the, for the Timberwolves. We saw the Warriors uh, play the Thunder last Friday. Um, and, and Draymond Green and Steph Curry both spoke glowingly of the in-season tournament and how that there was, you know, a palpable increased energy in the building and and from the other players. And so the Warriors are going to be ready to play in that one. And, um, you know, it will be a fun game because there's some increased stakes and it will be the second game of a, a little two-game set. So it'll be a fun um, chess match. But on the in-season tournament as a whole, like the goal is to make these games, you know, one or two percent more entertaining at minimum right. than you know what a standard november game would have been and i certainly think that we're seeing that so far when you just look across the board at how few blowouts there have been um in these in-season tournament games relative to some other um you know regular season games whether there's you know some truth you know whether there's going to be some you know sample size that, that bears that out or it's just yeah. you know two two days or three days of those games we don't know yet but but it's been a fun concept so far um and and i think it's kind of hard to you know, you know, really just bang on the table one way or the other about whether it's been a success or a failure at this point. Yeah. If nothing else, it gives, it gives another thing to talk about. It's a more, you know, that the courts are fun. They're exciting. Most of them are ugly, but some are good. Uh, so that's, that's fun too. Uh, of course we go live on the postcast after every single Wolves game, typically hosted by Luke, Luke Inman over at Locked On Sports Minnesota, and then either Jack or Tyler Metcalf from Canis Hoopis. Uh, are the guests on the show. So live on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube page after every single show. You can also get the audio after the fact if you joined us late. You can get the audio on the Lockdown Wolves audio feed uh, a little bit later here tonight. So check that out this weekend and get yourself ready for uh, Sunday in Golden State, as Jack mentioned. Uh, big thank you for watching. A big thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to go follow Jack on Twitter. You can see our Twitter handles there on the screen. And follow Lockdown Wolves and Lockdown Sports Minnesota on all platforms. A big thank you once again for watching and for listening, and we'll catch you next time.